Sweet Zaddies. This episode of the Zaddy Zone is brought to you by a product I use literally every morning first thing, AG1. It is the ultimate multivitamin, especially if you want to make health and wellness simple for yourself. So what's in it and why do I take it every morning? Well, one scoop of AG1, I'm absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, adaptogens to help me start my day right. This special blend of ingredients supports gut health, the nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. My favorite ingredients in particular in there, I love getting zinc first thing in the morning and I love getting some ashwagandha because I know it's great for all of those stressful days, right? It's keto, it's paleo, it's vegan. Can you imagine meeting that as a person, a keto paleo vegan? They would be terrible, but this as a product is delicious. It supports clear thinking, better gut health. It's a delicious way to start every day and you start the day with like a serving of greens. That is a win. Let's talk cost, $3 a day. Don't at me, less than a coffee a day, you can have athletic greens, $3 a day. I started drinking it because Andrew Huberman drinks it. David Sinclair drinks it. Tim Ferriss drinks it. And I do what they do because, well, they, they know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Athletic Greens is going to give you, listen to this, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Autumn, g'day, how are you? I'm doing well, Luke, how are you? Excited to be here. So excited to have you on here. Uh, would you mind just introducing yourself a little bit? Tell everyone who you are. I'm Autumn Smith and I'm a mom and a wife and a daughter and all those things, but also I run a few companies along with a lot of very smart people, uh, Wild Pastures mm-hmm. and Wild Pastures Burger Company and then Paleo Valley. And formerly, I was a fitness trainer and a dancer and a troublemaker and all the things. Troublemakers, I think... You know, my son has been getting in trouble at his daycare and my wife freaks about it. And I say, this is a good thing. Like, honestly, I want him to push against authority. I mean, I, I, of course, I don't want him to hit kids, but I want him to figure out he shouldn't hit kids by at first hitting kids. You know what I mean? I know you mean. My little guy's also getting in trouble. And my husband and I talk about this all the time. Where's the balance, right? We don't mm-hmm. want to stifle that, that rebellious, that experimental, that just kind of like, where's the line type of energy? Because those people often produce a, a lot of really amazing change for the world. So uh, we couldn't be more familiar with that conversation. And <laughs> I'm in the same camp you are. <laughs> Give me a little bit of history with you. You uh have had your own health journey and her health battle in order to come to where you are. Would you let me know a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I was probably around 10, I started to have some digestive issues and mm. we didn't really know why, but we knew we went to the doctors in our little Montana town. Not that they weren't great doctors. They just that they just said it was irritable bowel syndrome. They didn't really, mm. which, is, mm. which is actually a wastebasket diagnosis. Kind of you rule out more serious pathology and you're like, oh, okay, well, we don't know what it is. So we're going to call it irritable bowel syndrome. And they said it was a stress-based condition. I needed to relax more and take some Beano. Anyway, that didn't really help. And then as I got into my teens and small town Montana was honestly pretty stressful. There's like a lot of hazing and a lot of bullying I encountered. And it started to kind of 
we know there's a gut brain connection now, but at that time it, it wasn't really common knowledge. And so this gut stuff started to kind of manifest in many different ways, including anxiety, depression, eating disorder. And then to calm myself down after we went through the litany of psychiatric medications and psycho, you know, counseling, and none of that really made me feel better. I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to use substances. I'm going to manage this pain physically and emotionally in the best way that I could at the time. And it got pretty bad. And I got kicked out of my parents' house before I even graduated high school. Yeah. And wow. uh, it wasn't, I, I, I'm always, I'm also very, you know, motivated and I love to learn. So at the same time, I'm having all these struggles. I still somehow made it through college and then decided I was going to pursue a dancing career. So I moved to Los Angeles and worked with Tracy Anderson and became a fitness trainer, all those things. But it really, the pivotal moment in my kind of new direction was when I met my husband and he you know, he's a very gentle, grounded soul. And he took one look at the way I was living, like during the day, celebrity fitness training, and then at night crashing a mess, digestive issues, feeling like a fraud because my skin was breaking out. And he was just like, well, wow, sweetheart, like this is, you're smiling, but you're suffering in silence and we need to fix it. And so he did, you know, got on YouTube and did some Googling and <laughs> some people in this one corner of the internet were seeing a lot of luck with, with dietary change, which at the time I was like, that is so silly. Like why would diet change all these things for me? But, but in 30 days, it, it was really a remarkable transformation. And, and the light bulb moment was, I realized I've always been really fit, but I I'm not well. And I want to know what, how did changing my diet make me well. And so I went back to school, got a master's. I'm almost done with my doctorate right now. Uh, a number of other programs. I basically just became obsessed with all things wellness and what the heck just happened. Mm. And so that led us to um, physical products because I'm also someone who doesn't like to spend a lot of the time in the kitchen. And I, my last assignment with Tracy Anderson was a world tour for seven months with J-Lo. And uh, I found on that tour, even though I had, had kind of recaptured what I a new state of health. I wasn't able to maintain it because I didn't have the tools. I had all these random ingredients and stuff. So we thought, okay, we have a niche here. We want to be the company that prioritizes health over profit because we just didn't see a lot of those companies out there at the time. And then we started learning, you know, meeting ranchers and farmers who were really passionate about regenerative agriculture. And we started to learn the nuance there. And we thought, geez, wow, if people could actually access their products for a low price, we could incentivize these farmers and ranchers to make the conversion to this type of agriculture, which we believe to be such an amazing solution to a lot of the problems we're seeing today. And then Wild Pastures Burger Company was just kind of like <laughs> we were we were really passionate about using the whole animal. We always had a lot of ground beef. And so mm-hmm. we didn't have a great burger restaurant here. And so we thought, and, and also we want to meet people where they are, no matter what kind of dietary philosophy or life that you lead. We want fast, casual, healthy food too, right? In addition mm. to products. So we're just trying to kind of help people find health in a modern society. Autumn, you've just covered the entire podcast in that monologue. So I just want to thank you for coming on. It was great to meet you. Bye-bye. Now, <laughs> I have to ask you, what were the initial changes that you made that your husband kind of discovered on YouTube that you first implemented that were helpful and working for you? Yeah, it was just paleo principles. He saw Rob Wolf's work, which led us uh, yeah. to Cordain and, you know, what is kind of like the caveman diet. But what it looked like for us is on the weekends, we went to the Pasadena Farmer's Market. We got produce. We got, you know, animal products, you know, high quality grass fed and fruit. And we just... We tried not to eat processed foods. 
And I, you know, gluten, I think was a big part of my journey too. So gluten, dairy, we cut out and processed foods. And, and, um, so that was the first step later. I realized my blood sugar and keeping that nice and stable was another really big piece of it for me, but it wasn't anything crazy, just, you know, prioritizing whole foods and eating as many of them in a day as we possibly could. And then when you were a trainer, was I imagine it's an incredibly fast-paced life. So it was mostly grab and go, like whatever you get your hands on fuel. What were you eating? Yeah. Once, you know, prior to my health transformation, I was eating, you know, whatever carbohydrate bar, you know, soy mm. protein thing situation. I always thought a calorie was a calorie and it didn't really matter what I ate. That's what I've been taught as a young ballerina. Mm. And so I just did that. And then after that, it was funny. I would have this huge case. I'd cut, like, and I would get some raw fish and, you know, put some ice in there and, you know, just a lot of, you know, dried mango and apples. And I'd pack like a little fruit tray and some nuts and seeds. And I, it was a whole thing, but I did it because uh, it made me feel so much better. Yeah. Amazing. Tell me a little bit. Wait, now you were a celebrity trainer. So you were training with Tracy Anderson. You were training JLo. Yeah. So this is, yeah. And I can only attribute all of these amazing experiences to the genius of Tracy Anderson. So Mm -hmm. uh, one of my first assignments when I, I just, I don't even think I knew what a really big deal she was. I just went to a dance audition and they said, you know, and then they sent me, um, first time to Courtney Cox's house. And I was like, Oh, well, wow. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> and then, you know, throughout, you know, Shakira, I got to go to Uruguay and train Shakira for about a month. And then, yeah, JLo invited me to go on her seven month world tour and I worked with Cheryl Cole and, you know, uh, Victoria Beckham. I mean, just a lot. Wow. I mean, Tracy Anderson has quite the list of her uh, celebrity clientele. And so, yeah, I was privileged enough to work with them, but the, but the world tour was definitely it was definitely the last um, last assignment that I had. Shakira, tell me, because this is something you would know, the hips, like behind <laughs> the scenes, do they lie? No. <laughs> She's amazing. That's all I can say. She's yeah. the most wonderful, beautiful, like oh, talented, kind people I've ever worked with. And no, the hips, they don't lie. She's got it. Uh, what about, but what about her breasts? Are they small and humble? Have you ever confused them with mountains? It's funny because this conversation is, you, I never honed in on the breast. It's funny, right? As a, as a lady trainer, I'm looking at mm. in the butt and, you know, sh- making good shapes out of the rest, but the breasts mm. weren't on my radar, but um, they look great in all the videos. And from what I could remember, never, never anything I would worry about. So you never confuse them with a mountain though, is the question. You know, I didn't see her in the full effect, right? When you work out with someone, uh, she was kind of, she's a very humble person, right? And I came mm-hmm. and she was in sweats and it was chill. It was over her Christmas vacation. So we wouldn't mm-hmm. have the girls out and it wasn't like a, a presentation. It was, it was more like a, a workout. <laughs> Got it. Exercise. <laughs> Uh, amazing. You know, years ago, I had no idea who Tracy Anderson was. I kind of heard about her and I took a video of hers on Instagram and I impersonated every movement that she did and kind of cut it together. Like this? And then like her, her crazy movements. And I was just doing all this like silly stuff on top of it. And then from then on, she added me and now we're friends. (laughs) I'm telling you, she's also another one of the coolest ladies ever. And yeah, when you look at the movement she's doing it, you're you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, that looks silly. 
but it is so strategic. This lady, like mm. she puts on electrodes and like tests what muscles and the number of muscles and which muscles are kind of being activated by certain different movements. So while it looks crazy, there's a, a, there's a huge amount of strategy and research that goes into it. So I want to know a little bit more about this because I watch the workouts and I'm like, it's it, this is interesting. It's really kind of intuitive movement for anybody out there who's listening. Check out Tracy Anderson on Instagram. You'll see these movements and be like, is this a workout that was happening? Is this a dance class? Uh, I can't quite figure it out, but people swear by it, are obsessed with it, pay a lot of money to be you know, around Tracy Anderson and be working out with her. What is actually the method itself? Is it? Uh, could you just enlighten me on that? I have no idea. Here's the thing. Only Tracy can probably tell you all of the nuance, right? And I, uh-huh. I haven't been working for her for a decade. But what I can tell you is what she told me is basically, uh, I think it was her husband had some back issues. He was a basketball mm. player, a professional basketball player. And they went down to into another country and they met a doctor, an unconventional doctor who said it's totally possible to kind of recreate spine, your spine based on certain movements, build a new musculature. And so she was mm. like, wow. But the doctor also said it'd be impossible because no one could create the vocabulary because your body adapts so quickly. So you would have to have change all the time. Your muscles get smart and lazy. So what she's done is identified weaknesses in the body. Like if you look in the mirror, like where's the area that your problem area, you know, whether it's your hips or your butt is drooping or you have, you know, um, a belly and identifying those places in your body where you have muscle weakness and then using Mm. a program that changes every 10 days in order to address that particular weakness and create a very balanced physique. So you'll see when, when you look at the people who do her method regularly, they all kind of start to have this similar physique because she's addressing the balance, focusing a lot on the back, right? Because you want to lift the the bottom, a lot of the, the mm-hmm. booty. And a lot of times that is a, is a back related issue. So there's just, her method is dance based, trying to give everyone a nice, long, lean, muscular, balanced physique. But the genius behind it, I can't even articulate because there's so much to it that I don't even understand. Wow. Okay. Well, and then what about you? What do you how are you working out today? What's your... A week to week, what's your daily thing? How often are you working out in a week? What are you doing? Tracy, I'm telling you, I've tried oh, wow. to go outside and you, it's just different. It's just, mm-hmm. there's nothing else really like it. So I also incorporate yoga. I did, I was a yoga teacher and so I dance. I do, and I was also a ballerina. So I have these weird things I do like fuetes and just like sometimes a dance class. But but Tracy mm-hmm. is four times a week. I do her advanced or intermediate programs and um I don't think I'll ever deviate. Every time I do, I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, that was good, but not quite as satisfying somehow. Got it. I mean, you've st- so you've started uh, Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures, both companies I'm a fan of. So that's why I'm so glad to have you on the show. But tell me about how you found, which are these kind of animal-based, you know, very animal-based products, both uh, Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures. How did you find incorporating animal, like, great animal product into your diet. How, do, how have you seen that change? Has that been the major part of the change that you've seen in your body since you were in trouble with IBS to now? I think it's a huge part. And I'm actually creating a docuseries called Rethink Meat because there's such a there's so many myths around meat. But for me, I made that shift to paleo, right? I cut out most processed foods. But what I still had was these blood sugar fluctuations, up and down, moods, energy, just mm. 
I didn't have the performance that I wanted to, the stamina. And so, yeah, animal products provide, you know, they are our most nutrient dense foods. When you prioritize the right criteria, we can get into what that is later, but they're very nutrient dense in terms of iron and zinc bioavailability. And then also they provide satiety, right? So there's this protein leverage hypothesis where your body isn't only looking for nutrients, it's sensing amino acids. And so if you get enough of those amino acids, essentially you don't have to overeat. And then we have the fact that amino acids break down and, you know, they create muscle and they're also the precursor to our neurotransmitters. So for me, a lot of my health, the weak links in my chain are often mental health stuff. And so finding out that I could essentially stabilize my brain health with animal products was really intriguing to me. And so I wanted to find a way to get, you know, really high quality animal products that are something people could carry around. And I have noticed a dramatic, dramatic difference. I was someone as a youngster who didn't, I didn't really crave or didn't think I needed animal products, but since yep. bringing them into my life, I, I, I see that the error of my early ways. So me too. I, me too. I was the same way. I think when in my early twenties, I was like, there's no need to, to kill anything to have a meal which I later found out is completely naive because even your salad, death has gone into the salad. But then anyway, anyway, I, I was like vegetarian basically. And I was like, I don't need meat. There's, there seems to be no need for it. And as I've learned and as I've gone on in order to regulate my moods, in order to regu- make sure I'm getting enough protein, in order to be full at the end of a meal without eating, you know, three table f- t- tablefuls of vegetables in order to get enough protein, I have to incorporate meat and it's it's been a learning it's been a learning curve your your young naivety tells you like oh meat isn't necessary and then as you age you realize in order to age well i need to be eating animal product absolutely they say it's even more important you know you need more protein your body gets worse at kind of digesting it and again mm-hmm. you're not strong as you age right you're going to have an increased risk of you know, many major illnesses. And I love that. I love that. I so resonate with the fact that people don't want to kill things, right? I get that. Yeah. But yeah, what we're lacking is that's kind of a reflection of our disconnection from where our food actually comes from. They've actually done studies where they looked at, you know, 25 times more death per sentient being, right? Per kilogram of usable protein, right? In when you're just raising fruits and vegetables, for example, right? When you're not even using animals. And so arguably the more humane way to go about it is like a a cow, right? Can feed Mm -hmm. an entire family for a year. And when raised in a grass fed system, you know, that is actively regenerating soil and restoring ecosystem function, that's arguably a more humane choice than all of this kind of, um, unintended death that occurs from combines and just chemicals. And then all of a sudden we don't have fish are dying. And then, you know, insects are dying. Birds don't have food. Bears don't have food. You know, there's a lot of downstream effects of, of traditional conventional agriculture that a lot of people aren't familiar with. And so, yeah. 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 I mean, and one, one argument people say to the idea that, okay, more, more animals die for my salad than one cow is that, well, I didn't intend to, and intention means jack shit to the animal that you're killing. <laughs> exactly. And I think also we just have to come to terms with, right? Unfortunately, there's never been a vegan culture. And I love the intention behind mm. it. But our evolution was determined and, you know, predicated on the organs, the blood, the fat, the animal products that created the yes. massive 
growth in our brain. And like, I, I, I understand why people want to not do that, but we're kind of, if we're killing ourselves and degrading our health, are we really able to do great work in the world and go out and protect the animals anyway? I don't, I don't know. So. Right. Are we not part of the ecosystem and shouldn't we be protecting ourselves by feeding ourselves the most nutritious thing possible? I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm totally in agreement about that. I see what the vegan culture is and what it's doing, how it like it, it, it's fighting for animal rights and welfare, and it's also fighting for the good of the planet. And those are great intentions to have. But is it going the right way about helping those two things, animal welfare and the planet? And I'm not sure. And, and us as a priority within the ecosystem too. And I'm not sure that it does nail it. I don't think it does. And what I've been really privileged. I grew up in Montana first off, so I, I'm familiar with the realities of agriculture. And then I've been able to interview a lot of regenerative ranchers and farmers who just say, you know, there's so many misconceptions around this. And they raise their animals with the utmost care. And they essentially mm -hmm. have what they say is like one bad minute. Like the rest of their lives are beautiful and they get to live out these lives that are arguably more humane than like a death in the wild, right? That's not a, yes. pretty, that's not a beautiful process. And then also, yeah. I think the other part that's kind of misguided is I talked to Dr. Frank Mitlerner. He told me that essentially you would have to go vegan for two years in order to offset the emissions from one transatlantic flight. So going vegan for the planet, there's also this study that Robin White did and found if everyone in America went vegan, we would reduce emissions by 2.6%. But also a lot of us would have widespread nutrient deficiencies. And, you know, right. this Mondays in the literature, about 0.3% of emissions. So I love the intention, but what we're missing here is, is information and just education around the realities of the system. Sure, the way we're raising animals undoubtedly needs to change. And that's exactly what my company is devoted to. But I but veganism is is not the only solution, like we're saying, to all these beautiful intentions that people have. Yeah, and I also loved what you said earlier, and I just want to highlight it. There, there is no culture that is vegan, not in, not throughout history. There had never has been. There is no indigenous population on this earth that doesn't utilize and prioritize, like literally prioritize animal food. Yeah, that was Weston Price's work kind of showed us, right? That, right? that he, he set off on a mission to find the cultures who were having this perfect health that was, you know, enabling them to have dental health because we were having such bad dental health at that period of time. And what he found right. was there was no vegan culture and that people went to great lengths and the, and the type of animal products, it was different. The proportion they were eating was different, but they often went to great lengths to obtain them. They revered them and they fed them to their more vulnerable populations, developing kids and pregnant ladies and the aging. And so, yeah, it's just to think that we can go back and to do and to do ourselves and this planet a service without animals, which we can get into why animals are such do so many ecosystem services as well. But I think it's naive, even though there's I, I know there's good intentions there. Yeah, let's 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 talk about the environmental impact of animals, um, uh, particularly animal agriculture, on the environment. That is something that a lot of people talk about. And as you mentioned, if we stopped eating meat, there would be a reduction a reduction in emissions. Let's talk about that for a minute. I'm not sure where to start on it exactly, but. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing that's really important to understand. There are so many flavors of animal agriculture. And a lot of times mm. when they're saying, you know, vegan diets are going to improve, reduce emissions, they're looking at this conventional model, right? They're looking at the, you know, the feedlot system. But there was a recent analysis. I don't know. Are you familiar with Will Harris down at White Oak Pastures? 
I'm familiar with white oak pastures. Yeah. 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 So they did what's called a full life cycle analysis uh, to see what his emissions were like when you did everything, when you took everything into consideration. And what they found was for every pound of beef produced on that particular ranch, 3.5 pounds of carbon were sequestered. And otherwise it is a net positive, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, Beyond Burger and Impossible Burger, they did their own similar types of calculations and it was a 3.5% em- or um, 3.5 pound emissions. So right. Will Harris told me he knew there was a God because for every you know, plant-based burger you'd eat, you'd have to eat one of his in order to offset your emissions. And so the important thing to understand is the type of agriculture that you're talking about makes all of the difference. So yes, when you're getting beef from a conventional farm, there are more emissions than potentially these plant-based alternatives. But if we're talking about regenerative agriculture, that is arguably better than plant-based agriculture to begin with. Yeah. So let's, uh, for people listening who aren't aware of what regenerative agriculture is, what's the elevator pitch? What is regenerative agriculture? (laughs) Okay. So there's basically three types of agriculture happening today. There's conventional Mm -hmm. agriculture with, you know, it's uh, feedlots and it's fertilizers and it's chemicals and pesticides and right. And we came about that system with beautiful intentions again, because we saw this population boom. How are we going to feed everyone? Okay. We have antibiotics now that makes cows grow faster. We have supplements, vitamin D, vitamin A. Anyway, beautiful intentions. But the reality is when you take into consideration what's happening, all these externalities, human health, you know, water pollution, air pollution, right. It's a more expensive system than we ever thought it would be. The second type is sustainable. A lot of people are wanting sustainable agriculture, but that's something like organic agriculture, which kind of surprises a lot of people. So it's not using all of these chemicals and all of these things that are kind of breaking down the soil biology, they can use some, but traditionally it doesn't, but it's not actively regenerating it because, and there's still tillage, right? Which is arguably one of the more destructive practices in agriculture. And then there's regenerative. Mm. So regenerative agriculture at the spirit of it is just taking land and bringing it to a higher state, healing the ecosystem, improving its function. And that relies on measuring ecological, very specific ecological outcomes. How are the levels of carbon in the soil, soil organic matter, you know, is biodiversity improving, is water holding capacity improving. And so it is the only type of agriculture that is specifically devoted to improving and restoring ecosystems. Yes. Now, what is tillage? Tillage is breaking up, right? Where we use plows and just breaking the land apart. So it's funny, like essentially we want that intact kind of soil because that's when the, you know, there's earthworms and there's insects, there's biology, right? We didn't really understand how important this biology was. We had, you know, in history focused on the chemistry of the soil, but now we're realizing tilling not only kind of disrupts those relationships and the fungi and the bacteria, but it also exposes the soil and makes water evaporate and it ruins the soil structure. So this is really interesting. We have these floods and these droughts throughout the world. And a lot of people believe it's because we don't have enough water, but what it is, is it's, we don't have the ability to retain the water. And when you have soil structure, you create pores and spaces, you know, that hold water in between rainfalls. And so tillage kind of disrupts the fungi, the bacteria, the soil structure. It kind of lets soil be, um, or water be evaporated. And we've done that, yeah. we that, and that kind of created the first dust bowl, right? In the thirties, right. um, that's in 50, within 50 years when we started kind of ripping up the prairie. And now today, Dr. Alan Williams believes we're in the midst of our second dust bowl because now we have bigger machinery and a better ability to really till and disrupt this function. 
And it also means that I suppose that when it rains, water runs off and runs away or it doesn't get used as well as it used to if you didn't till the land. Is that right? A hundred percent. That's what they say. Um, I think it was Gabe Brown. He said in the beginning when he had less soil health, about a half an inch was able to be infiltrated in his um, land per hour. And since he started regenerative practicing, it went to 30 inches. And in, in wow. where he's at in Bismarck, North Dakota, they never get 30 inches. But what it does ensure is that he's never missing out on the rain. And I think it's like something like 20,000 gallons per, you know, 12 foot per acre that can be stored when you improve the percentage of organic matter by something like 1%. It's a huge amount of water when you take into consideration the acreage on many of these uh, regenerative farms. Got it. You know, one of the arguments I've heard against regenerative agriculture is that that we don't have enough room in order to create enough food for enough people. You know, we have so many people, we have more people on earth today than has ever been. And we don't have enough room to do rege just regenerative agriculture everywhere. Is that right? Or what do you say to that? Yeah, you know what? And, and, and I've asked a lot of regenerative ranchers the same questions. And the two things that come to me is, A, I know we have Diana Rogers in her book did a beautiful calculation to show that we could grass fed all of these grass feed all these animals, but we'd have to be using land creatively, right? We've, there's a lot of land that's been put out of production. We would bring it back into production. We could use public lands. You know, we'd have to think outside the box, but I think we could do it. The other thing they say is basically when you ranch regeneratively, what they're not considering is the carrying capacity of the land increases, right? So, and you can also have cows that then are followed by sheep that then are followed by hogs, that then are followed by chickens. And then you bring mm. these onto the land. And there's just like, when you really think about the amount of meat produced on that same area, it's a lot bigger because we have a lot of diversification. And the final thought is that the reality is we can't continue our current methods of agriculture and expect the world to stay healthy because the fertilizers and the chemicals, you know, we're creating, you know, dead zones in our ocean. There's something called Cancer Alley, where they believe that a lot of these chemicals are draining down into, it's around New Orleans area. And um, we're destroying wow. in our soil. Carbon mm -hmm. needs to be in our soil, can be in our soil when it is healthy soil. But, but yeah, I think it's naive to say that we can just instead continue on the trajectory we're on and be okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's interesting. I had no idea about this ocean thing. Could you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. So when we have like fertilizers, for example, fertilizers kind of, you know, it, it made sense. There's a green revolution. We produce more food and that's great. But what fertilizers do is they can make plants lazy, right? If they're going to receive their nitrogen rather than from, you know, the biology and natural processes, but sometimes they stop, you know, exuding all of the carbon and this, breaks down the uh, carbon, but also it can wash off into watersheds. And so when we get to high levels of nitrate, it essential kind of like takes the oxygen away and it kills too many, kills animals in the oceans, right? Because mm. they need mm. a very specific balance and they kind of create this like low oxygen environment and algal blooms, algal blooms are a result of that and fish die. So huge areas in the Gulf of Mexico where there are dead zones, but I've heard also in the Great Lakes region. And so, and also that nitrogen, excess nitrogen can oxidize and go into the atmosphere. And that's where you also have like um, nitrous oxide is a one of the greenhouse gases that has a much larger, like 300 times the warming potential of carbon dioxide. And so then we have air pollution and water pollution. And yeah, 
the, the chemicals and the fertilizers that we're using um, are harming our environment in, in a lot of different ways. Wow, crazy. I'd, I'd never even heard about that. That's, about the that's absolutely wild. Really? No, I'd never. I mean, I knew that. I mean, it makes sense that fertilizers are going to wash off and get into the into the into the ocean or get into the water. I just had no idea that parts of the ocean were dying. And I'd heard about algal blooms, and that's just. Uh, well, I don't even know why. It was probably just naivety. I'm just like, ah, oh, they're okay. The ocean's all right. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's definitely yeah. The look it up. You have to look it up. The yeah. ones in the Gulf of Mexico. It's a it's a very real concern and a result of our agriculture. Yeah, so tell me about uh, wild pastures. You, uh, I get um, meat delivered to me every month, a nice big box of meat. I absolutely love getting it. Where does that meat come from then? It's regenerative and it's all grass-fed other than, you know, the fish obviously, which can't eat grass. But tell me about that. Where does that come from? Yeah, so what we've done is, like I said, when we were making our beef sticks, we met all these amazing farmers who are, who are very much like scientists. And um, they were like, we love what we're doing. We don't it's a big risk to leave the conventional system because, you know, regenerative ranching isn't subsidized in the same way that conventional agriculture is. Anyway, what they're telling us is I really want to do what I do and I want a demand to just be there. So we decided to be the middle person. And so we have farms and ranches we work with throughout the United States that are regenerative. And then we've found very creative ways to keep the cost really low. So it's 40% less but always sourced from American regenerative farmers. So it's just coming from farmers that are doing things, you know, in a regenerative way. And we have beef and chicken and pork right now. And like you said, fish, I think bison and lamb are, we're going to bring those in eventually. And we also right. have an organ meat kind of blend that we're working on too. Yeah. I mean, I've got a, I've got a liver, I think I've got a whole liver coming to me this week from you guys, which I'm looking forward to mixing into ground beef very quietly. I don't tell anyone in the house that that's what's happening. I just, I just cut a little bit off and throw it in the blender with the ground beef. And then I, then later during the meal, I go, do you know what you're eating right now? And they're like, what? I'm like, it's liver. <laughs> I'm glad you that's how I get them. I'm so glad. Do you notice anything in your health when you do that? Well, I don't know, actually, but I'm the worst person to talk to about this, though. And everyone asks me, hey, all your supplements and everything you take, how does it make you feel? I never feel anything. I feel no difference. Caffeine is the only thing that works, in my opinion, <laughs> as yeah. far as making me feel great. But, you know, but some people like, you know, take a probiotic and then like, oh, I feel amazed. I just took a probiotic. I'm like, what? <laughs> They're very sensitive. I, I don't have that sensitivity. Yeah, I'm that person that's like, whoa, and my husband's like you. He's like, what are you talking about? I don't experience this range like you do, so or this sensitivity, but that's fascinating. I tried to I tried to eat liver too back in the day. My husband would try and slip it in something. I could always taste it again with the sensitivity, but I'm glad your family can't because it's it's there's a lot of benefits. Yeah, you gotta be careful. I do about twenty to fifteen percent like liver with the ground beef and nobody notices. I also like love to season it very well. But what no, what differences do you notice with liver when you eat it? Oh my gosh. The first times I started having it, it was like, whoa, like a, I don't know, like a lightning rod through my body. I was like, oh my goodness. Because yes. it's probably that, you know, I was working out a lot and I was probably deficient in something that it was providing. But there's also been really cool research to suggest, like when you feed liver to rats in water, they do these stress tests, right? or B vitamins, or, you know, just a normal diet, the, the rats that get liver, they swim until you stop this study. I mean, there's just, there is an unidentified, they call it an anti-fatigue factor 
in liver. Mm. Even like people who are 60 or 65 who take our supplement are just like, wow, I'm doing push-ups and pull-ups and the stamina that I, so it's crazy. Um, but B12 yes. is a great source of B12 in a more practical sense. And there's really fascinating research that it kind of, um, there was some Nobel, Nobel Peace Prizes actually awarded to scientists who found out liver could correct pernicious anemia. So if you have iron related issues, it's the confluence of like copper, vitamin A, it's, it's many yeah. different nutrients that kind of work together to, pro to provide this like energizing effect. Yeah. For anyone listening, grass fed beef liver or any liver really is incredibly nutrient dense. It's like one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet is liver. And so getting it into your diet, instead of taking an iron supplement or a folate supplement or B12, getting it within a whole food like liver is the ideal way. And that's what you're talking about with those rat studies. The rats that we're getting in in a whole food source were the ones that were crushing it. That's right. And I've even had people, and this is, of course, never medical advice, just a, a snippet of what's possible, who used to have to do iron infusions and who would mm. be taking liver and that, that need would kind of go away. Because like I said, like you're alluding to, a very delicate balance between minerals and nutrients that you need to provide the um, body with that usable form of iron. So, and there's also a recent trial too. Um, someone ate like nine ounces of liver in addition to, you know, stress reducing practices and 30 minutes of exercise and a focus on dark leafy greens. And they're actually mm. turned the biological clock back by like three years. So oh, no. Provides you know nutrients that support a process called methylation, which can improve the way that you age and kind of turn off those genes that might otherwise um, invite you to age more quickly than you'd want to. Yes, and all, uh, let's just keep talking about liver. Uh, also, it's incredibly high in folate, which for anybody who's looking to get pregnant, be pregnant, have babies, a very necessary nutrient from what I understand. You'll be able to tell me more about that. Yes, folate. I mean, absolutely. Because, you know, spina bifida, right? When the neural tube doesn't develop correctly is related to a deficiency in folate. And chicken mm. liver is particularly, I think, is a richer source of folate than even beef liver. But yeah, and, co and oh, CoQ10 is a nutrient that not a lot of people are aware of that is, is particularly rich in heart. So you can eat all the different organs, right? But heart is in our blend too. For that reason, some doctors believe it's actually a deficiency of CoQ10 that leads to disorders like heart disease. And so, so many different amazing nutrients in liver. And like you said, there was a trial, Dr. Beal did the trial to look at what the most nutrient dense foods were in the world. And when you look at the nutrients most people are deficient in, so again, that criteria was it was a good criteria. It's organ meats. It's liver, kidney, heart, spleen. I think like five of the top foods are all organ meats. They're all foods that we're kind of like tossing aside, but that ancient cultures revered and ate regularly. Were you saying that CoQ10 is really high in heart or it's necessary for our hearts? Heart, both. It is. It's interesting. Oh, this is like mm -hmm. based on, you know, kind of like anecdotal evidence I hear from Dr. Nation Winters, but but apparently the organs are kind of the repository for the minerals that they need to function, right? So if you're eating heart, and they did this, it's, it's like an ancient principle called like cures like. So yes, yeah, the nutrients that we need for heart health could be provided by eating a heart and people would eat eyeballs, right? When they had eye issues. And so yeah, CoQ10. And brains and, uh, you know, we grew, I mean, I'll, I'll all the tribes that we come from, like 
drank blood, they ate brains, they ate every part of the body that they possibly could get their hands on. They did, yeah. And we used to have a supplement with brain in it sourced from outside the United States, but a lot of people were super kind of freaked out by by that. But no, it's um, I think we're actually going to bring it back in and just ensure and educate okay. on the sourcing because, yeah, I mean, fatty acids, there's so many things in brain that the brain needs and it's just a, a hole in the market right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, one thing about CoQ10, I just had a fertility specialist on who was mentioning that is one of the great supplements for fertility is CoQ10. And then I went to a Rite Aid yesterday, just a pharmacy. And <laughs> it's so funny in LA, like the, the the supplements, like only certain supplements, like when they're expensive, uh, uh, you have to go and get an assistant to come and help you out with. CoQ10 and Manuka Honey is both you tr- like you have to get somebody to come and unlock it for you. I'm like, only in LA. Would you lock the manuka honey? Because people are stealing manuka honey. But I, but I did want to say that CoQ10 was also locked up. And what, a, what an accessible form of a very cheap form of CoQ10 if you were just to like eat heart maybe once a week, chop it up, put it in. And it's actually a, actually a very easy, out of all the organs, I think the easiest to cook because you don't, you don't have to cook it for long. And any way you cut it is cutting it against the grain. It ends up being quite tender. And it is does not have the the gamey taste that liver does. It's a gateway organ, absolutely. And are you <laughs> it's kind of like you just want to dip your toes in that water? It's a nice way to go, much easier than liver. And if you're going to eat it, chicken liver is also a better place to begin than beef liver. But yeah, also, and I know CoQ10 supplements can be very expensive because it's it's hard to absorb and create a blend. But but again, there's a lot of research to suggest nutrients in food. They're readily available. They have all those cofactors and they, there's even research to suggest, and I'm not saying this is true of CoQ10 supplements, but more specifically calcium supplements and beta carotene in certain populations, but they can increase the risk of certain disease. I'm not saying that to freak people out. I'm just saying food, start with food, right? You can get a lot. Yes. Yep. Love that. So let's talk about the like regenerative and grass fed meat. What are the nutrient differences between, you know, non-regenerative and non-grass fed meat? What are the, what are we seeing nutrient wise that's different? Yeah. This is my dissertation. (laughs) I'm just right now. Yeah. And so I've been really lucky to work with a guy named Dr. Van Vliet out of Utah state. And um, so the nutrients that are changing is, you know, the fatty acid profile, right? We're getting more omega-3 fatty acids known for their anti-inflammatory properties, less omega-6 fatty acids. Now, omega-6 fatty acids, they're a necessary nutrient, right? But when their levels get too high, which they often do with animals that are fed more grain, um, it can outcompete those omega-3 fatty acids and create an imbalance in the way inflammation pathways work. Also, CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, which is a really unique fatty acid kind of only found in meat and um, animal products that is known for, you know, anti-diabetic and potential body composition, improving effects. We also see a reduction in the saturated fatty acids that tend to raise cholesterol levels and also an increase in long chain saturated fatty acids. I know this is extra nerdy, but it's important. No, it's okay. <laughs> Was it the, this is this is, uh, LDL and HDL, right? Or, yeah, are they gonna... Well, kind of. I mean, we can get into that. That's a whole other can of worms. But saturated longer chain forms of saturated fatty acids seem to be enhanced in regeneratively raised meat. Um, mm. Seem to, in some studies, reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. So. What we're seeing is more 
of the beneficial types of saturated fatty acids, definitely more omega-3 fatty acids, definitely more CLA. But the other cool thing is phytonutrients, which we typically associate with plants, right? They can end up in large amounts in grass-fed and specifically grass-fed from really diverse pastures. Those Mm. can be as high as some vegetables sometimes. And these are thought to be protective against, you know, for instance, if you're consuming burned meat, they also might produce reduced levels of inflammation. One quick trial that kind of brings home why this even matters is they fed kangaroo, right, to certain participants, which was raised on grass, and then beef raised in confinement fed grain to participants and then measured their levels of inflammation after the meal. What they found was the kangaroo that ate grass had lower levels of post-meal inflammation than the other. So it, it mattered. And think about eating that three times a day and the fact that inflammation is at the root of most modern day diseases. Now, obviously, it's a confounded trial because it's not a beef-to-beef comparison. But Dr. Van Vliet's mm-hmm. doing that research now. So we'll know... Cool. What you're seeing is, you know, better fatty acids profiles, in some cases, more minerals, depending on the health of the soil, antioxidants like vitamin A and vitamin E seem to improve and phytonutrients, particularly in really diverse pasture settings, they improve dramatically too. Got it. So essentially, if you let an animal live the life that it would otherwise live without too much human interaction, letting it be on a pasture, it gets even more nutritious for you. Yeah, it can. And that's the thing. It's, right. it's like, it depends because continuous grazing, there's so much nuance here, right? Where you put a right. cow on pasture and just say, you do your thing, right? That can still harm the land, right? And what Van Vliet has kind of found is the more diverse the pasture, the, the more diverse the phytonutrient profile. And so what a lot mm. of these ranchers do is they create, they mimic predatory prey cycles, so that way, a cow is always moving. It's stimulating grass growth. It's fertilizing the land with all of its, you know, ways it does that. And then it moves on to another piece of land. So we don't necessarily want to just like leave a cow free to do its own thing. There are highly managed systems that we're learning about that can improve not only environmental health, but potentially human health too. Got it. So actually like moving the cows from pasture to pasture to making sure they're getting diverse nutrients, but also not stomping up the land too much any at any one part is that right you know what that's brilliant yes exactly and here's the thing even in the grass-fed sector right if you continuously graze and overgraze, that means harm the land the the grass and the soil they don't have time to recover that is environmentally destructive and that's why regenerative ranching is so important and different still than some types of grass feeding so mm. the nuance but yes that was exactly beautifully stated and when you see cows just out on pasture, that can be dangerous as long as if they're not being moved properly. Dangerous to the environment, that is. Mm. So you can see there's just so much nuance and it's understandable that people are confused because they see cows out on land that is actively degrading. But what Alan Savory and other regenerative ranchers have realized, it's not the cow, it's the management of the cow. They can either be Mm. very destructive or exactly what our ecosystem needs in order to heal. And it's the management that makes that difference. Wow, I love that. I, I, I love asking health and wellness people this question, and uh, I just want to move on from regenerative to you. Um, what are health and wellness beliefs that you once held that you now no longer believe in? Oh, well, eh, you know, in the very beginning that a calorie was just a calorie and I just had to count them and mm-hmm. that, that was all I needed to do. That's very changed very dramatically. And then, you know, as we all do, when we find the paleo diet, we're like, well, this is perfect. 
this is the tool that worked for me and it's going to work for everybody. And then you realize, no, yeah, everybody has this unique genetic profile and then their lifestyle and then their tolerance for change and for stress around elimination and all those things. So I realized not one thing is going to work for everyone. But then also the last thing is kind of like, I realize the more diverse your diet can be, the better, right? Some of us who have like reduced levels of gut function or whatever, there might be a time when we pull foods out and we do this elimination situation. And I always think getting processed foods out of your diet is a good idea. But in terms of a long-term approach, I try and find as much diversity as possible, which was again, different than what I started with. Yeah. And then how has your self-love journey changed from the beginning when you were having all those issues and then you met your husband, which is such a big moment, by the way. I just want to highlight that when you meet somebody who like really like can, he can see you from a third person perspective and go, oh, we need to like, you need some help here. You need some love. And like, I love that he went and researched and like, it probably wasn't his area. He was just like, I really want to help this person. I really love them. And I can see that they're struggling here. I just want to highlight how beautiful that is. Oh, and he is just so deserving of all the credit in the world because he is, he's just that person who kind of, he stands, he observes, and then he, he moves in, in a beautiful, non-accusatory or non like, wow, you're a mess. It was kind of just like <laughs> gentle, like here, these are some tools we could have. So no, it was absolutely beautiful. My self-love journey, it's always going to be a journey. I'm someone who ignored myself. There's like a lot of self-abandon, just kind of like, like I said, I was you know, on drugs, you know, getting kicked out of my house, but still going to college, like still just not paying attention to myself at all. And so that is what, you know, this next decade and season of my life has been more devoted to. I think it, the kids make you do it, right? If you don't do it, you're not, you're not a great mom. And I realized I, I want to be a better mom. And so every day, you know, I'm exercising, taking time for myself, sometimes meditating. I just started somatic therapy, which is again, just like getting us back in touch with our nervous system. But Yes, mm. it's always something that I focus on because when I don't, things just don't work well. <laughs> My family yeah, breaks down. Yeah, yes, I, I, I would understand that. What is somatic therapy? Oh, somatic therapy is like therapy of the body. So it's like, um, mm. you know, as a dancer, you'd think, oh, she's so in touch with her body. But I'm, I'm, you know, so many of us aren't. We're just like operating from these unconscious patterns. And even just the simplest thing, like she noticed I'm always like this ready, sitting, my posture is always here. And so just yeah. like learning, like, when is there a moment in your day when you can relax, like when you can receive, when you can sit back. And so just kind of finding the places in my body where I have patterning and stress and relaxing into that and just kind of like, it's kind of bringing a whole new nervous system into the world. <laughs> That's what it Got is. It. It's, yeah. I love that because, I mean, there's a few things I love about that. Number one, I love that you sit forward because it, like, I love enthusiasm. I'll take enthusiasm over anything. If a person's not talented and enthusiastic, I'm like, I'll take you over a talented, unenthusiastic person anytime. I love the sitting forward. And I also love that she's asking you to look for, look for moments where you can relax. I'm a teacher. I'm, I, I, I'm a trainer at a, a gym here uh, called Training Made. It's a group fitness class. And at the end of the class, I always get people into a child's pose, tell them to put their head against the mat and relax the, the muscles around their jaw, their neck, and their face. And I say, this is the one part of the day probably where you can relax your face completely mm. and do it right here, right now. 
that's so important. And yoga, I didn't even talk about it really, but it, it was such a transformative practice for me too. Cause you're right. When do we ever think about that? And what a beautiful thing it is that you're giving that to children and people at the gym. I'm trying to instill that in my son and he rolls his eyes at me. Going on 17, he's like, okay, mom. I mean, yeah. but, but no, it is absolutely critical. We were never supposed to be stressed like we are as much as we are. And those moments are like, they're life-changing when you can just fit them in on a regular basis. Now, uh, just finally, I want to hear about how you managed to be a mom, a wife, and an entrepreneur who's running this business. How do you manage to balance all of this? Yeah, luckily, I've somehow attracted people that are way smarter than me and very capable, right? So it's not me out there doing this. This is a team of brilliant people working alongside me. So that's first. And then the second is just, I manage my time really well. I am am very clear on my priorities. My priorities Mm -hmm. are my people, my son, my husband, right? And so my time is allocated in that way. Like there's not a lot of time wasted for me. And also I've, you know, I say no beautifully. Like I realize, you know, these are the people who bring me joy and feed me. And these are the things that do that. And and the rest of it kind of, you know, over the last few years has been kind of parsed out. And so for six, maybe seven hours a day, I work. And then when my son gets home, we go into family mode and then, then I'm just mom. And so it, it, I have a nice balance because I have so many talented, wonderful people working on this with me. I feel that. I love that. I want to know about how you get things done though. Do you have a list, a checklist of things you got to do every day and how do you write that? And then how do you execute? Oh, heck yes. Always. I have something by my bed too, because I wake up with ideas. So yeah, no, I have a nice little list on my phone. And actually at the beginning of the week on Sunday, I'll think about Actually, I take myself into consideration where am I at in terms of my energy, even my cycle. It sounds crazy, but like at different phases of my cycle, I perform better on different things. And so I, mm. and then I kind of plan, you know, what are my priorities? Where am I at? And what can I, you know, reasonably accomplish? And then throughout my week, like Fridays are for the phone calls, the fun stuff, the just tying loose ends. Mondays are just my power hour. I do all my most creative um, mentally demanding things in the beginning of my week, because I know that's when I'm refreshed and, and able to be there. So uh, a lot of it's just like par- pairing together. Who am I in this moment? <laughs> what is most important to my team? And, and always having a list. Yeah. Always have a list. And then how do you work? When do you usually work out first thing? How do you do that? You know what? That changes. It changes mm. because if I have a really creative task, I get my fresh brain into that mode right away. So I'll take the first three hours. And and I've been toying with switching my workouts to the afternoon because you have a higher body temperature then. You could potentially get more benefits. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of a nice kind of release into mom mode. So um, usually, historically, it was always in the morning, but I'm realizing the value of letting myself do the important things and then kind of have my workout as a more relaxed, kind of like a treat. I love that. Also, you're stronger in the afternoon. They've, I think they've done scientific studies on this. Like, it's not ideal for sleep to work out in the afternoon, but you can lift more in the afternoon, which I find interesting. Yeah, performance is better. And yeah, for me, it's just kind of a transition piece because I love my workout. It's something I look forward mm-hmm. to all day. I think it might be different if I didn't, but for me, it's it's one of the best parts of my day. And finally, right before you go, Autumn, how do we follow you, keep in contact with you? Are you on social media? Yes, you can contact me at autumn at paleovalley.com. You can find all of our snacks and supplements at paleovalley.com. 
Wild Pastures, if you're into the regenerative meat delivery service, that's wildpastures.com. And then Wild Pastures Burger Company, if you're in the Boulder or Denver area, I'll meet you there. Oh, but you have to bring a burger store out to LA. There is no good burger store out here. None. I know. I know. Well, there's there's Burger Lounge, okay. which I like. Right. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, can do yeah, better. Yeah. It's on my radar. We LA is definitely a goal. I'm going to put out my, I have a little discount code from Wild Pastures. That'll be in the show notes. Also, Paleo Valley does a meat stick, which is the ideal snack. Even my two-year-old loves them. He stole mine the other day and my apple at the same time. Um, but I highly recommend getting onto the meat sticks. It's six grams of protein. It's almost as good as an egg. You just take out and eat on the run. It's awesome. It's awesome. And I've had five of them in a row and that's like a whole meal. Just kidding. Not recommending that, but yes. <laughs> I get love to be <laughs> yeah. uh, that's if you're very busy. Uh, thank you so much, Autumn. You're a champion. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Zaddy Zone, I encourage you to subscribe and rate our podcast five stars. And if you feel so generous, please write a review, say how much you loved it. Um, I only want to provide value to you, and I hope you're feeling some value by listening to it. We're not asking for any money. Just a nice old rate, review, subscribe. XOXO. Zaddy.